Welcome to the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. I'm Vicki, and I'm here with Wayne today. We're going to talk voting. But first, let's check in, as we always do. Um, so I guess the, the, the check-in will be, what is our favorite food? Ooh, so far, I would just say favorite is kind of interesting, but I eat this pretty much all the time, uh. kale. Kale, that's a good one. It's so good for you, too. I am not so good. I like pizza. Um, or any... No, no, no. Let's be more specific. I like cheese. Good cheese. Cheese is great. Yeah. My, my parents used to feed me the cheese off the top of the pizza when I was a baby. So, there you go. Fun facts about Vicky and Wayne. Kale and, and cheese. So, all right. So, I guess with the... Um, Last election in 2018, we saw some changes in um, the dimensions of Congress. Not in the dimensions as in size, but the dimensions as in... Who's actually representing who? Yeah, it looks a little bit... Congress looks a little bit more like... America. America now, which is (laughs) very exciting. But here in South Carolina... It still very much looks like the old South Carolina, with the exception of... Uh Joe Cunningham, currently representing to be fair, District 1. In the he house. still looks like the old South Carolina. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But he is, in fact, a Democrat, which is exciting. Woohoo! Yeah, uh, who still tends to be a little more of like... Centrist? Centrist, near near right, but... Yeah. But, you know, he's but, but on the big things where the House has... Seem to be going. He's he's been, you know, outwardly vocal, and thankfully, um, I believe one of the first things that he's been really big on has been the universal background checks. Yep. Um, as well as fighting very hard to fight offshore drilling. And so. and he is um, represents Charleston, mm-hmm. which you know we had the Mother Emanuel shooting there yeah. a couple of years ago, and. Um, his opponent in the the race was running on offshore drilling, which mm. no one in Charleston wants. And also of note, he is a scientist. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I, if I recall correctly, uh, his profession is like ocean oceanic oceanic engineering, which uh, is exciting. Yeah, yeah very exciting. So. Uh, I haven't read anything as of late about his support for the Green New Deal, uh, but it, it would be hard pressed as a scientist for him to oppose that. Yeah, and, and to to be completely fair, Charleston has always been on the front mm-hmm. front lines of climate change. Yeah. Um, it floods when there's a small, short rain. Well, even well, even just very recently, uh-huh. uh, the Post and Courier did a, a very big story on uh the fact that it was quite frankly flooding in parts of charleston just because they had a high tide recently yeah. um and and also you know because climate change is an ever-present issue for the city of charleston you know people need to take this very, very seriously, seriously and real because yeah. it's already happening yeah it's, it's not something that's that we're waiting for yep um uh, And I I can tell you that um, as a person who grew up on the coast, I saw the effects of hurricanes 
really, really closely. And I'm scared about them getting bigger and not having those coastal islands to prevent them from hitting the mainland with some force. And I think that is also a result of climate change. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and so thankfully, because this is one way that voting is very much a, a way to fix things that are crises, because we were able as the people of South Carolina, especially the people of Charleston's uh, first district, Mm -hmm. well, South Carolina's first congressional district, uh, were able to support and and put into office someone who would work actively... On climate change. You know. Which is... That's going to be... That's going to be a big deal. And we just... we, We can't afford to have climate deniers in South Carolina. Personally, just my opinion... Um, but let's get back to the topic of voting, I mean, which you were I mean, trying it, to do. But the, two, but the two are inextricably linked. Agreed. Because as we see in South Carolina, you know, there are parts of the state, especially at the state a state, uh, state district level, so uh-huh. state senate, state house, where most of our policy that really impacts our life gets made, oftentimes people are getting into those offices you know, only by the mere fact that they are, quite frankly, the incumbent. They're the person who's already yeah. there. Because people aren't coming out to vote because they may not have anything to vote for. Yeah. That's severely hindering, I believe, the public imagination of what is possible and how we envision our state being better. Absolutely. And and I agree completely. Yeah. And and we we talk about that some with the fair maps campaign we'll be doing something in the future on that mm-hmm. but yeah, but you can go ahead and check it out at uh, fairmapssc.com yeah, yep fairmapssc.com you, we have lots of good data there and i i think you'll you'll find that it's interesting to read and 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 you may and we may be coming to your county at some point uh for that campaign but follow Follow at FairMapsSC for more information on that. Absolutely. And we have a Facebook group, too, so look for it on on there as well. Um, So let's talk voting again. Let's talk why people don't feel like they... Mm their their vote makes a difference yeah. in South Carolina. I think like we have very undemocratic elections. Mm-hmm. So the South Carolina Progressive Network has always made some hay about voting rights and voter education. In fact, there is a whole project dedicated to um, reaching out to people who are either unregistered or or just increasing voter participation, uh, and that project is called the Missing Voter Project. Uh, I believe we're always looking for people who are willing to do uh, an amount of voter education in their communities on the ground. Yep. But to, to get back to some of your main point, yeah, voting in South Carolina is a, is a very, man, complicated issue, uh, in part because, sure, we have, you know, two parties in our state, the Republican and Democratic Party, but since sometime in the 90s... I think it was 94. The Republicans have been able to consolidate power to such an effect that we are essentially a one-party state. Yep. Um, Pretty much all of our state officers, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of education, superintendent of education, excuse me, adjunct general, I believe. I don't know if that's a partisan position. Yeah, I don't know either. But, uh, you know, commissioner of agriculture. Culture. It's, it's... 
it's all one, one party. It's all one party, exactly. And then you have uh, the state senate and the state house both being controlled by the Republican Party. Yeah. To some extent, in the house, um, possibly a supermajority, but definitely, in the but senate. definitely a solid majority. Yeah. In the house. So, and some, you know, and there, there are some people who've been serving. Well, at least I know of one senator who's been serving pretty much as long as I've been alive in my uh, 36 oh, I, years. I bet there are, are, I'm 40, and I bet there are senators who've been serving that long as well. Yeah, but as but as we've seen recently, um, especially in the last election in 2018, and, and even a little earlier, you know, 2016, uh, we've been seeing new candidates you know gaining the ability having the ability to to run and achieve seats in the state legislature yep. which uh is the most powerful arm of our state government like justin you know, bamberg being one of justin those. bamberg being one wendy brawley yep um mike fanning uh, who else has been relatively new? Uh, Marvin Pendarvis was new. Ivory Thigpen was relatively new. Yep. Uh, Mia McLeod is now in the Senate. She was in the House. Yeah, I think so, she was my my rep yeah. for a while. So there, so there's definitely some shifts and some changes happening. Um, and I mean, and even on the Republican side, I mean, Scott Talley um, is a state representative, I believe, who. Was mm-hmm. successful in upending Lee, Lee Bright's Bright. political career, and we we appreciated that because I don't mind working with Republicans who are relatively reasonable, but Lee Bright was not one of those Republicans. Well, and 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 that's a part of a longer conversation mm-hmm. that is a part of a political education and civic education that yep. I don't believe we're having in a real substantive way in this state. Yeah, which is. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine to have, you know, people on either side of the political of the political ideology spectrum, Mm -hmm. you know, conservative, liberal, you know, progressive, you know, nobody's really, you know, trying to, at least in this state, I don't think under undergird and support, you know, the far right. Yeah, Um, I'm not I'm not going to say. Um, alt right because that's you know boom like that's that's that's, that's become a, a meaningless term yeah it is Let's it be is honest. meaningless I mean because it's basically you know the racist uh-huh. you know like literally regressive dregs yeah. <laughs> of American political society so but that being what it is there's always the the ability and space to have a reasoned debate about what a policy should be how the future should look. And that's literally what the legislative process is, Mm -hmm. is debating, you know, those imaginations and coming up with something that is both fact based, but also something that both sides can agree to so that the arms of government and bureaucracy actually work. (laughs) Yeah. And work for the people because like, let's talk voting machines real fast. Mm Currently speaking, the voting machines are due for replacing in South Carolina. And if we were to replace them with the newer models of what we have, mm-hmm. it would cost $60 million or something like that. Yeah. And on, in one sense, you can actually say they're overdue uh-huh. uh, for replacing. And part, of the, and part of the issue is 
that the system that actually tallies the votes electronically is proprietary. Yeah. So, you know, the people who administer the elections, which is done at the county level, can't even, you know, go through and run system checks without essentially involving the company. And paying a consultant, essentially. That that produces the machines. Yeah. You know, and we also recently had a situation where I believe Marcy Andino, who is who is or was, I can't remember if she still is currently the uh, director of the State Elections Commission, was at one point, I believe, working for the company who then we bought the systems from to begin with. Yes. And that that's a problem, as you can see, a bit of a conflict of interest which, again, results from that 1895 Constitution where the power is in the legislature's hands. Yeah, because in our state, so we have a Secretary of State, as many states do, but the Secretary of State in South Carolina does, I don't believe, anything to do with the elections. Yeah, I don't think he does anything to do with the election, and I'm really unsure of, of... what the Secretary of State's role is, but I think it is something to do with business. Yeah, in South Carolina, I think it's all just like business and nonprofits and charities like related. I think it's all yeah. like licensing kind of things. Yeah. But and also notary publics. Um, but that, but that aside, you know, in other states like my home state of Texas, the Secretary of State's office is the one that sends you your voter registration yep. information. And, and we and saw what happened with the Secretary of State in Georgia. As he was running yeah. for um, as governor. As he was running for governor uh, and was able to not only campaign and make cast aspersions against the mm-hmm. voting process, yep. but then would be in charge of ensuring that the voting process was fair. Yeah. It, it, seemed, I, I, it seemed like a bit of a conflict of interest to me, but that's just... A that personal may, that may come up a couple of times. Uh, there's <laughs> conflict of interest in this conversation. Um, Just like Marcy, seems like a conflict of interest there. Yeah, uh, and and especially when you get down to, you know, the jurisdictions where people actually do their voting, which yeah. is you know the state house districts, yeah. the senate districts, Precincts, the and... congressional districts. Yeah. yeah, precincts are a part of those jurisdictions Mm -hmm. and what we find more often than not and this isn't just specific to south carolina it's not just specific to republicans very often legislators are in charge of choosing who is within those jurisdictions rather than the voters being in charge of choosing the legislators yeah yep the 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 old nugget we talk about all the time Mm -hmm. here is that the politicians are choosing their voters. The mm. voters aren't choosing their politicians. And, and that has and that has very real consequences in people's lives. Mm. And you know, most people, I guess, don't don't tend to think about it on a daily basis until it is election day, and they have problems voting. So, the South Carolina Progressive Network, during I think every election that's happened since I've been a part of it. Um, has been assisting with the uh, poll election. monitoring, for lack of a better word. Well, not just poll monitoring, but the election protection hotline. Yeah, uh, it's a hotline that you can call. I believe, I, I think the numbers changed, but but you can definitely like look it up online. Election protection hotline, and 
information will come up about it. And and you might reach Wayne. <laughs> possibly. Uh-uh. Uh, we, we were, especially this last election, uh, manning that phone line. And we had people calling in from across the state. And I specifically heard from a few people somewhere between the boundary of, you know, whether they were in Congressional District 6, which is the federal House district that Representative Clyburn represents, or they were from the Congressional District 1, which is the Congressional District that Joe Joe Cunningham Cunningham now now represents. represents. Uh, And people were, a few people who called had the issue where Joe Cunningham wasn't on their ballot, and they were living in Charleston County, and they were very mad and upset and confused. And when we would go through to verify their address, they it turned out they were in Clyburn's district. And the voter was, again, upset because they wanted to vote for Joe Cunningham. Uh-huh. And just based on how the lines were drawn, they weren't in the district. So, so here's a fun fact about Jim Clyburn's district, I guess eight years ago now. Um, a friend of mine was living in Florence County. And voted for Jim Clyburn. Mm-hmm. They moved to Columbia, and they voted for Jim Clyburn because they were in Jim Clyburn's district both times, and it was a weird shape at the time too. Um, and that's something known as cracking and packing, mm-hmm. like you pack all of the Democratic voters that you can into one district so that you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about well voters in other districts, and yeah. it's, it's so unfair. Yeah, and again, it's not just a matter of Democrats or Republicans. It's a matter of whenever when the party that is in power it has the ability to choose or affect most which maps get chosen, they often do so for their own political advantage. There's a great book that I was reading, and, and, this, is, and this is the literal title, so no one get mad at me. Uh-huh. And thank, and thank goodness this is a podcast. Uh, but the book is called Rat Fucked. Uh, it is by David Daly. Uh-huh. And it is a book all about gerrymandering and the lengths and just the... I'm going to have to read that. ...brazen, you know, political power grabbing that... In, in the book, it's particularly Republicans that have been doing like actually doing those uh, those gerrymanders for political gain. Yep. And, and, and it tells the story of that process happening not just at the federal level, but how but it does connect the dots between how gerrymandering at the state level is meant to impact the federal gerrymandering level gerrymandering at the federal level. Yep. So one of the things I'll do is I'll link it in the description as I, I always do. And the book in the description, but like, I'm also going to read it myself because it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you get into a situation where you, voters, you know, may be voting, but their vote may not have the impact that, you know, I guess the people running for office are hoping that it has. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, particularly if you're a candidate who wants to win, like, you know. And so that's how you end up in a situation where you can have you know, a very, a competitive, a a quote unquote competitive election, but it is heavily skewed towards one candidate's party or another, Mm -hmm. regardless of 
kind of who votes. Yeah. And so that that brings us to maybe, regardless of who votes, voter participation. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that some. Tell us about who is electing these people, Wayne. I know you've got some numbers. Yeah. So in the vast majority of South Carolina's elections, the people, who, of course, who vote the mo- most are people who are 45 and up. Mm-hmm. Um, they they tend to be a white person, uh, typically middle class, and that is kind of the quintessential like suburban like voter. And if they, somebody wanted to look up this information to verify it themselves, where could mm-hmm. they find it? Uh, scvotes.org. Yeah. Org. yeah. Uh, South the South Carolina that's the South Carolina Election Commission website. And again, since the South Carolina Election Commission doesn't really administer elections or kind of like oversee like how pro- how the process uh-huh. goes, they they're real they're if nothing else really good about tabulating results, collecting information about who's registered, where people are registered. Um, it's a great website. A great I have I have I have played on there a little mm-hmm. bit, and you can. It's beautiful data. Yeah, uh, and as a data analyst, I admire that. And and so one of the uh-huh. one of the best trends I think though, after going through a lot of the website and like having seen these numbers so much, is really the explosion in people who are eighteen to twenty four, not only registering but participating. Oh, that's great news. Because you know so often, especially in elections prior to. 2008 you know you'll see precincts even because because they drill down even to the precinct level and you'll see zero for 18 to 24 people age people voting and so that's that's always going to be i i think an active area for for both for both political parties or whoever chooses to run for anything like that should be a stable source of new votes because we're always having people turning 18 but it almost but it comes back to a question about what are people voting for do they feel like they are even respected enough to to have to for someone to court their vote because so often uh, we make young people out to be like the enemies of i don't know everything uh, and, and for well yeah and especially, uh, those, and especially like oh well you know young people don't care about anything but themselves anyway yeah i have i have some millennial friends who get very mad at the millennial um stereotype for lack of a better word yeah. that people have because they're active and they're involved and they care about things and yeah. well and we're even and, and this is also could become a longer discussion but we're even having i think the wrong conversation because now millennials are adults uh yeah they're fully grown yeah. adults they're you know the age is typically somewhere between what like 23 and my age 36 yeah, yeah and i'm 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 the end of gen x so gen x always gets forgotten literally it's very yeah. annoying and I, and I want and, and again this is gonna like send us off on a whole new tangent but uh-huh. I, I wonder too if that whole speaking of things in these generational monikers uh-huh. is also you know it's kind of stopping us from just delving into well what's the problem how do we connect with Uh younger people about hey at some point you were literally going to be in charge of this 
you need to know what what you, you're going to be in charge of. Yeah, like, exactly how this thing works, and and so that I think is part of this whole like need for urgency to do more political education, do more civic education, specifically not just with young people in mind, but teaching them history because mm-hmm. if they don't know it then they won't be able to respond when, you know, say, crazy people who are president, (laughs) you know, are doing things that have historical Uh, uh, antecedents. And and you know that's my passion, right? (laughs) Like, um, so I just think that that one of the things that we should talk about is is what kinds of things do voters need to know. I think this podcast, one of its purposes Mm -hmm. is to educate younger voters Um, on the issues and things like that. Yeah. So, so I mean, what 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 can their vote do? Let's focus on what what the vote can do, and what rather than what the vote can't do. What's something that that that's good about voting? Well, one ju- studies have shown that people who vote are more civically engaged and politically aware, mm-hmm. because at that point you're putting skin in the game. Yeah, you know. I mean, around the world, you have people who will wait for days, you know, walk for hours, you know, mm-hmm. just to cast a ballot. And because our nation, one, doesn't make it easy to national, do. Yeah. One, it's not a national holiday. Uh-huh. Two, you know, you have all these impediments, you know, from whether you have to work, can you get childcare? Do you even have a vehicle to get there? One one thing I think that the House Republic the House Democrats are doing correctly this time around, their very first bill mm-hmm. was on democracy. Yeah, and this is the federal legislation HR one. Yep. Yeah. And so, and it's about automatic voter registration, which mm-hmm. I see no reason we can't have automatic voter registration except to the re- except that the Republicans don't want it. Because it makes it easier to vote. Again, going back to to what studies studies demonstrate that uh, when voter turnout as voter turnout increases, that tends to increase more votes for the Democratic Party rather than Republican Party. And in South Carolina, yeah, you could see how that would be an issue for the Republican Party. Uh-huh. But but the issue of voting itself is not partisan. So I, so I kind of want to get back to okay. that, that bit about why voting is so important. And, you know, again, that voting is you putting skin in the game. Because in, in spite of all the impediments of getting to, you know, your polling precinct, to, do, to, t- to make that step, to actually go through that and cast your vote means something to you. And so you're more likely to then continue voting. I don't know. I was so excited to much, get my voter registration yeah. at the age and of I 18. And I don't know how much we make that a priority uh-huh. for all of our students in South Carolina. Yeah. Because, so if we're going to talk about uh, some process things that people need to know, just in general, one, if you are going to be 18 before Election Day, register to vote. Yep. Just fill out the ballot that year if you're going to be 18. The, the registration form. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Fill out the voter registration form. Again, you. I think you I think you can even download a registration form yep. from scvotes.org. Yeah. That we're going to talk about scvotes a lot and because fact, it's such a good yeah. site. And in fact, I believe you can even do it from your phone now. Yep. Um, 
and this is, a, I guess this is a well-kept secret, South Carolina actually does some things online extremely well. Yeah. <laughs> we do, we do, we do a pretty good of our, pretty good job of putting a lot of some of our government processes online. Uh, and let's be honest, it's, it's a more, um, cheaper way of doing things and yeah. result reduces the need for, um, external offices. Um, but yeah, so, so that's one thing. One, if you're going to be 18 before, before election day, no matter what year that election is, and there are elections almost every year. I yeah. think that's important to note as well. Yeah. Like I know for a fact that um, some some people do may may oral mm-hmm. and council elections in so quote unquote off years. Odd year. Yeah. There's there's this whole like odd and even years things that yeah. some elections do at the at the county and municipal level. And so. I bet you could find out what elections are coming up on scvotes.org. They do have an election calendar. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, so as long as you are registered 30 days uh-huh. before whatever election uh-huh. you're going to participate in, register to vote. Uh, the other thing is you be aware that the state legislature in South Carolina is the most powerful governmental body. And so because those elections happen every two years, go vote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you can you can even vote absentee early. Mm-hmm. If, for instance, you have a day off on a a, a Tuesday or something like that, but you're not going to have an election day off, go to your county offices mm-hmm. if you can get there. And if you can't get there, I bet you there's somebody who in your your life will take you there. Or you or you can call and ask for a mail ballot. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Absentee. So there's there's lots of ways to vote. Just even if you don't, you can't get off on election day for whatever reason. Yeah, you can go vote early. Yeah, well, and well, and that there's needs, and we need to distinguish between early and absentee voting. Yeah. So yep. early, so early voting is literally a set period of time where you can go to a specific site to cast your ballot. We don't do that in South no, Carolina. No, we do absentee, and and you have to provide an excuse mm-hmm. um, when you vote absentee. Um, one time I I voted the one time I voted absentee, it was because I was going to be mm-hmm. out of town for work. Yeah, and so the one and so one thing too that you should know is that it is possible for your county registration office to set up a satellite absentee voting location and richland county hasn't been good about doing that especially in um like lower richland and some Mm -hmm. of those areas and so and so i would and so that too would be a point of initiative for someone to take to call their county voter registration office and say hey you know we'd like to see about making you know either a, a satellite absentee location you know, at a place of business or uh-huh. at a grocery store. So, you know, somewhere that people know in the community and, and, and trust as being in, as a nonpartisan location where people could go yep. uh, to do that. So, so yeah, so registering 30 days before an election, especially if you're going to be 18 before that election day. Mm-hmm. Also, be aware that the state legislature elections that happen every two years are extremely important. Oh, yes. And so go vote in those. The one downside I will say is that perhaps... 
you won't there have may a choice. Not have a choice. Yeah. So that's so that's one of the things so in South Carolina that we definitely need to discuss. Let's lead into that. Yeah. Um, I I know for a fact that eight percent of the people in South Carolina yeah. who vote for Republican count vote in the Republican primary often decide a large portion mm-hmm. of who goes to the House and and Senate. Yeah. So it's not so it's not just eight percent of the people who vote in the Republican Party. It's eight percent of the registered voters in our state. Really? I I was thinking it was five percent in the Democratic side. No, that's like a whole Oh my gosh. Yeah. My numbers are wrong. And okay, yeah. so just so it you know a, where, where you can find those numbers, if you go to the South Carolina Progressive Network, there is a Democracy one oh one. Um, scpronet.com is that is our website yeah. our website. And and you'll be able to to find where we got these numbers. Yeah. So so you essentially have I mean just at its very base, you have less mm-hmm. than 10% of South Carolina's registered voters choosing over 70% of the state legislature. That is insane. I know. I know Wayne's looking yeah, at yeah. me with the face. And and, par- and part of that and part of that problem is because again, our elections aren't competitive and i know that's a little bit of like a separate issue from voting but it really is tied in because if you don't have anybody to vote mm-hmm. for you really look at elections as just something well why bother happens. exactly yeah and so and, and so that's not an issue simply of voting that's an issue uh, about party participation and do you see and like do, do parties like how viable are they uh-huh. you know not just how viable are they but who's running just period. Because if someone is standing for election constantly with no competition, whether in a primary or the general election. They're not accountable to the voters. What voters? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, their family and maybe, you know, 800 other people. You know, I've, I've seen elections for some state house races where the entire voting uh the entire participation like of voters, like the, the, the total number of people who even vote, is less than 5,000. That is not a good thing at all. Yeah. I, I would like to see full participation in voters. Yeah, and, but, but, and, then, and then even more, and then even worse, you know, in, in some of those cases where there is that one person on the ballot who doesn't have any opposition in a primary or in a general election is still raising money. Yep. And so what... Where's the money going? And, you know, yeah. because it's easy, It's very easy, you know, to raise all those funds. We constantly see, like, every year um, with our state, you know, legislature, somebody's got an ethics issue. Yep. I mean, we recently had, what, a former state house speaker indicted. Um, there's been this continual... Yep. At least over what the last four four years four years I think uh, four years an investigation um, into the the state house finances and things yeah like that. where the attorney general himself who happened to win re-election had recused himself mm-hmm. uh, from the investigation because he was a couple of people who he, were he, one biased. of his consultants yeah. were were indicted yeah yeah. Uh, Quinn and Associates is what you should look up for that. There are some lovely pieces on that from like the Post and Courier, and the state, yeah. and the state. So yeah, let's let's move on to what do you think would increase voter participation? So the, so one of the first things that would increase voter participation uh, would be for especially at the colleges and universities 
around South Carolina for students to make it an issue that they want to register and vote where they attend school. And you can do that. There was a lawsuit a couple of years ago that made that 100% legal. Well, well, it always was legal. Yeah. That's the thing. It always was legal. But mm-hmm. again, because we live in a state where the powers that be, you know, want that the power system itself wants to protect itself. The specific situation that you're recounting is in Greenville County, I believe. Yep, Furman. At Furman University. There was a student who was excited about, you know, registering people to vote. He went to the voter registration office and they made it an issue of, you know, do your parents pay taxes here? Uh, you know, where, like, why does that matter? Yeah, like, where's your primary residence? You know, is it in state, out of state? And it doesn't matter because if you are attending a university, you by law have the right to register to vote at your university using that address, that primary residence, uh-huh. and vote in that precinct and so you have a situation where college students at universities and colleges around the state aren't voting in those municipalities yeah i drove home to vote every time i voted um as a college student i didn't vote in clemson i voted in florence county Mm -hmm. and see and that's something that i believe could drastically change how we how we understand south carolina because it's not the South Carolina of even 1996, yep. even 1999. I mean, our state is dramatically changing. Yep. We just, re- I think, believe it was in the last, what, two years, we crossed the 5 million threshold as a population. The Midlands area is fast growing. The, the area, coast is The growing. area outside of Charleston, particularly Somerville, Goose Creek, is seeing mm-hmm. an influx of people. Mm-hmm. Even I mean, I haven't visited the upstate and gotten to know it that deeply, but I would suspect that even there, yeah, there's Greenville's a, lot of a gr- change. Greenville's a growing area. Mm-hmm. Um, I go up to Clemson still pretty regularly, yeah. and it's changed a lot yeah. and a, since and a, I was there. Yeah, and a, and so in, in our state is also you know following some national trends, you know, in terms of the increase of the Latino Latin populations, mm-hmm. and even now. Uh, People returning to South Carolina because, you know, they had family roots here. Yeah. Returning from other parts of the country. Basically a reverse of the Great Migration a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think I think those are all good things. Um, they, are, they are all good things. But this is going to come down again to our, our discussion of the day, our uh, topic of the day, which is voting. Yep. You know, people certainly won't be satisfied with seeing the same representation that we've had for so many years of a one-party controlled state that seems to only work in hiccups and starts when there is a literal crisis, yeah. like with our education. And with climate right change. With climate and, change. The and fact that, I mean... We have a prison problem. Our roads are horrible. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I, I kid you not, guys. I went through a pothole and it bent my rim and I spent $1,500 on fixing my car you know, because imagine, of a pothole. Imagine if imagine if we just started taking copies 
of all of our mechanical failures and car issues Mm -hmm. just because of the roads just send a copy to the Department of Transportation yeah. or send a copy of that to your state representative. Send it to your state senator. You know, tell them that this is what it's costing you. Yeah. Because I, I don't know about yeah. you, you, you Wayne, <laughs> but I drive like a drunk person because I'm dodging potholes. <laughs> um, like there's some potholes that are so deep in the roads that I am scared to go through them with my car because I think it's going to cause damage again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, that's a side note, and I apologize for for <laughs> sidetracking us. But you talked about roads, and I got very excited. I mean, but uh, but just think, but just think about all the things in South Carolina that need attending. And again, it seems like we only address issues because it is a literal crisis. Yeah, and it's and it has something to do with the fact that the people who keep getting voted in. Or the votes that apparently aren't happening, mm-hmm. you know, oh, they, they keep getting similar representation. And they vote on issues that really don't matter to 90% of the South, Car- South Carolinians. Like, they vote on stupid stuff. I'm sorry. That's probably a... That, that's, that's, a that's an editorial, but... Uh-huh, yeah. You know, but perhaps, you know, to a lot of people, things like, you know trying to push through a bill where life begins at conception is yeah you know not exactly their, not their you know number one and, issue and um what's his face lee bright which this is irony considering his last name wanted to make um south carolina the incandescent light capital of light bulbs and the capital of incandescent light bulbs in the country yeah a few years ago that is stupid shit i am sorry <laughs> That's if that's editorial, but we don't need to be voting on that crap. Yeah, that's uh, a bit. That's a bit much. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry. Now we get back to voting. Yeah, I mean, but but it all but it all comes out of the same uh-huh. out of the same thing, you know. Just because people can cast ballots, and just because people do cast ballots, again, what are you voting for? Uh-huh. You know, and and so it is, and so it always does come back to that larger discussion i mean yeah voting is important please go do it get registered register people but you also have to fight for larger political restructuring it's it's an inside outside strategy as the network pushes yeah but because voting especially voting is a tactic Uh voting is not a strategy voting is only the beginning and then you continue to do other then you continue to do the other work of pushing the people for whom you have voted into office yeah to do those and so that's why the whole song and i don't want to say song and dance because then it sounds like i'm really minimizing it but that's why the whole it, it almost seems like industry around getting people out to vote and registering people to vote may not be enough yeah because Again, if you don't have someone to vote for, you know, yeah. is your vote really counting? And, and and a lot of people, I think that they find that piece of well, I don't have anybody to vote for. I and, really and dispiriting. Most we've had a we had a few changes this last election, two thousand eighteen. Um, but in South Carolina, we were only able to flip like what two seats in the state house, right? I think about two or three. Yeah, and then one of them went Republican. Mm-hmm. There so. was a Democratic seat that went Republican and two Dem- two Republican seats that went Democratic. Yeah, so um, that's that's really not a Democratic process. 
Um, I had a, a friend who ran in her, her district just to give people a choice. Um, and she got a lot of the vote, but because of how it's gerrymandered, she didn't get enough to win. Mm-hmm. And I, I pe- think people see that and they think, why bother running? Mm-hmm. Why bother running as a Democrat here? I'm not going to win. I think there's value into in a no safe seats mm-hmm. approach because if we need people to run to push people to like yeah well in south carolina is actually a really good state about having ballot access by uh-huh. different parties yeah. i mean people may not know this but the republican and the democratic mm-hmm. party are not the only parties that exist yeah Newsflash. Newsflash. So in South Carolina, um, I know there's what? The United Citizens Party. You've got the Working Families Party. uh, The Green Party. Party. Um, I'm pretty sure there's the Socialist Party of the USA that has, you know, some measure showing here. What was the other one? The American Citizens Party. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah. Started. So, So there is a possibility for a lot of discussion uh-huh. and a lot of airing of viewpoints but that just doesn't happen because the political system is so drenched in it's money. rigged it's because it's so drenched in money yeah it's uh-huh. and that's yeah. and that's what makes it rigged yeah is that money aspect but people do have the option when they run of running on multiple platforms it's just that people are most familiar with the democratic and the republican parties mm-hmm. and so that's what we tend to go with and so that's why using voting as a strategy doesn't really work because... But it's st- a perfectly good tactic. It's a great tactic. But if you're going to be strategic about it, that's why you need to have a primary opponent in, mm-hmm. in an election. Because that's where you can use your voting to specifically direct a candidate, you know, or... or keep out a candidate let's let's use scott talley and lee bright as an example yeah um the network supported scott talley because it was prudent to get lee bright out of office yeah so so on some level you know it's it's a matter of which of of, of harm reduction yeah of harm reduction of moving your agenda forward in a way that you know, it might not be leaps and bounds progress, but it's mm-hmm. not going backwards. Yeah. You know, and so that's and so that's how people and and so the, and so that's kind of the strategy behind, you know, how do you want to use your vote? And so that's what makes voting, you know, employing voting as your tactic, but not your strategy. Like your strategy mm-hmm. has to be like, you know, why am I doing why am I voting for this person? I mean, a whole lot of people had voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2016 Democratic primary. I was one of them. There are still hurt feelings about that. Uh But at the end of the day, especially based on where people lived, especially based on where people lived, they voted for Hillary Clinton. Not because they liked her, not Uh because they thought she was going to do some amazing job, you know, versus... Harm reduction. Bernie Sanders, but because clearly the other person... Was insane. Yeah. Excuse me. I, I is insane. Is insane. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to to, <laughs> or at to least do a this. Criminal, so. And I I became a fan of Hillary after voting for Bernie, mm-hmm. um, because I read the stuff and 
she didn't seem quite as bad to me as 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 she had been painted um but the the i know i am a rarity in our mm-hmm. progressive network i am center left no that's that's i mean that's it's i wouldn't i wouldn't paint yourself as a rarity but i uh-huh. but i definitely would say that you know especially going back to so the point about being based on where you live uh-huh. you know there were people in wisconsin and pennsylvania who had voted for bernie sanders in the democratic primary yeah. and then when he wasn't there and it was the general election they voted for donald trump they're perhaps wasn't I don't I don't know what their strategy would have been involved in. I don't think in. there was a strategy. Could it, could it could have I mean it could have been just as simple as well I don't like like her I'm going to vote for him or they could have said you know well he sounds like he's going to do you know they what believed she what he said possibly um, possibly they believe the lies let's be honest well I don't well I don't want to make assumptions I don't want to make assumptions or mm. you know just like yeah. broaden or, or well, not broaden but like. Uh, impugn people's motives but but that is one of the facts that happened you know people there were people in states who had they voted for hillary clinton could have earned her the electoral college it was something like a hundred thousand votes well but again but depending on where you lived so Uh if people in some of those key states had voted for her rather than donald trump she would have won the electoral college yeah. votes necessary to have won the presidency. And and I'm going to say something that I think a lot. There were I think there were some Bernie voters mm-hmm. who voted for Donald Trump because he was a man and Hillary was not. I mean, this is America. Like you yeah. have to know where you live. I mean, yeah. that's that's not a hard thing to stretch and imagine. Yeah. So. My my I'll, I'll give an example. Of, and it's not just men, it's women too. Um, I'm not going to give this example because I don't want to out people on face on, on the internet right now. Well, 53% of white women vote yeah, for yeah. Donald Trump, so there's yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I was not in that 53%. 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump too, which I don't still don't understand and maybe blew up my relationship with the church. Well, that's that's again I think another uh-huh. deep political discussion. Yeah, we we don't have time for that one today. No. <laughs> uh, I I could get very angry about both of those two mm. statistics very quickly, so let's just move on. But yeah, but so so that's why uh-huh. you know I bring up the fact that's why I bring up the point about where you live also also being a thing that matters because of the electoral college. Well, that's at the federal level for just president true true um so so you have so you know based on where you live in the country you definitely have to take that in in mind Uh but as far as you know bringing it back down to the state and county and city level you really need to know where you live like Uh who represents you you know so often i talk to people and i you know and for, you know, we talk about an issue, and I say, "Well, have you talked to your state representative? Have you talked to your state senator?" Oh yeah, oh yeah. I sent letters to Lindsey Graham. I made a phone call to which Tim is, Scott. Which is not enough. Well, it's not just that it's not enough. That's mm-hmm. also not your state senator. Exactly. That's also not your state representative. Those people are the people who travel to Columbia and they work Tuesday through Thursday for you. <laughs> yeah, during you know, during the sense. Yeah, and session. so and so Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, those are your federal senators. Uh-huh. You know, Clyburn, Tom Rice, you know, Wilson. Jeff Duncan, 
Like those people, they are your you. Those are your federal represent federal house representatives. Oh. When you're talking about your state house representative and your state senator, those are the people who they don't really leave the state. They like stay here uh-huh. <laughs> and go to Columbia, like you know, a bunch of weeks for their two year sessions and either do or don't vote on things. Yeah. You know, that should be important to you. And so um and so you the best way to check out who represents you and to kind of find out kind of know your district is go to the state house website, yep. scstatehouse.gov, and there's a, a small tab that says um find your legislator. It's like a little box. It's it's quick and easy. I I've used it yeah. many times, it's and a, I could not tell you who mine yeah. are right off the top of my head. It, I'd have to go look. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a little box mm. underneath uh-huh. uh, South Carolina Senate, and you put in your address, and it gives you exactly who represents you not only at the federal level but at the state house level, yep. the state and, and it level. it includes phone numbers and email addresses yeah. and ways it, to contact them. Yeah, and those are in all of your representatives biographies so and so i think it's very important that people should be able to familiarize themselves with those individuals Mm -hmm. so that you know even if you aren't asked you can just throw out their names like i know both of my people i've i've met um i've met uh i met dick harpootlian recent somewhat recently although i'd never known him uh other than you know growing up in south carolina and well, kind of in the Columbia area. I used to live in Red. I grew up in Red Bank uh-huh, in Lexington. Yeah. Everybody is surprised, uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally. So, but, uh, and I remember when you know he was the state Democratic Party leader. Like I remember his name from that far back. And you know, wow. So now he represents me in the state Senate. Seth Rose, who used to be on Richland County Council, yep. is now my state House representative. But. How many people in this state? I think aren't Beth able... Bernstein is my senator. No, she's representative. She's my representative. <laughs> I yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, but but that is the common. Oh. But I believe that's the common state of most people yeah. in, the, in our state is who represents you at the state house. Yeah. I don't know who represents you at the state oh. senate. I don't know. They confuse those individuals with the federal representatives yeah. because. I guess what they're the ones who tend to be most public. Yeah, not not only most public, yeah. but also on their TV. Yeah, or also drawing you know terrible criticism for our state. We have been talking almost an hour. Oh, <laughs> so we could go on about this, but what's we really a, could. What what what's a good way for us to end it, Wayne? Uh, so a really good way for us to end it is for people to. Go find out who represents them. Go to yeah. scstatehouse.gov to find that information out. Call their offices. They have uh, your federal representatives have local offices somewhere uh-huh. near you. Yep. And your state representatives and senators, those individuals also have an office either in Columbia or locally. But mm-hmm. usually they have some way of contacting them on their biography. Also visit uh, SC Votes. Dot org, uh, where you can register to vote. If you're not registered, that's that's our main push. Yes, please tell everybody. Uh-huh. As well, uh, SE Votes will have information about your county voter registration office. Yeah. Every every voter registration office I've ever visited has been so helpful. Oh, absolutely. And just 
I mean, if you can volunteer there, I mean, they are they willingly accept you. Yeah. Because they want people to be excited and involved. And you can volunteer to be a precinct yeah. manager and things like that. And yeah. they'll they'll do trainings. And There's everything. also the paid positions uh, of poll worker, and you uh-huh. just again go to your voter registration office and ask for an application. Uh, you do get paid for helping to administer the election. Yep. And and I think that the poll workers should all be old retired people. I think we should have some younger people there too. So I encourage you to do this. Yeah. And, and as well, if you are a college student or university student anywhere in South Carolina, register on your campus. Oh. Especially if you are located in an area that you don't feel is best represented currently. Yep. And, and, you know, talk to your representatives about things you care about. Contact them and say you care about climate change. Yeah. And contact them and say you care about getting the roads fixed. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, so things that work really well. Calling. Uh-huh. Writing a letter is a little more important than a call. Showing up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That, that, that'll get it that'll get something done yeah <laughs> so we we encourage you to do that and um we'll of course talk about this more in depth as we go along because we're going to do something on fair maps and we're going to yes also let's let's do this visit our fair maps sc dot yes. com at, to learn about gerrymandering mm-hmm. and south carolina and the network strategy for dealing with that Mm -hmm. because it's only going to become more important as the census comes up yep and the census is important because that is just a literal head count of Uh all the people in our state and that's going to help determine whether some communities get funded or not yeah and it's it's about federal funding like the census is what gets federal funding into states for things like head start Mm -hmm. um what are some other programs like uh I mean, almost I mean, anything, anything like anything housing, really. federal housing, yeah, um, things like that. So we really encourage roads, roads, money. But most important about the census is uh-huh. that after we determine again how much, how many people live in wherever in the state, how many total people we have, we are going to then have to redraw our maps. Yep, and that's why we are calling it fair maps. And when and and if we don't have fair maps. Then again, your vote may not have the power it should. Uh, so all comes down. Yeah, we're gonna have an hour and a half episode this week <laughs> because I have already interviewed Melissa um, Watson of Emerge, and that's coming up after the break. So we look forward to seeing you next time, and just contact us and let us know what you're thinking of the podcast. Yeah, always Tell- visit us at uh, sc underscore new legacy on Twitter. SC underscore new legacy on Instagram and at facebook.com slash SCNLP. And um, yeah, we look forward to hearing you. So let's let's leave it at that and talk to you after the break with when I'm back with Melissa. Welcome back to the South Carolina New Legacy Podcast. I'm Vicki Perry and I am here today with Melissa Watson, and she is going to talk to us about women in politics. 
Yay! Yay, I'm happy to be here. So, Melissa, tell us a little bit about yourself and the organization that you work for. Okay, so um, a little bit about Melissa. First off, I am a native of Columbia, South Carolina, born and raised. Um, graduated from Dreher High School and, Woo-hoo. yay, went on to go to Carolina um, and graduated from there a couple of times with um, final degrees, um, a master's degree in public health and, and a master's in social work. And I have a, a deep public health, social work, nonprofit background, which also included a lot of advocacy. Mm -hmm. And that is how I found myself in politics. Ooh. Yeah. Now, I'm going to add something that she didn't say. She, like me, is a graduate of the 2017 class of the Majeska Simpkins School for Human Rights. And I I would like to say that probably influences some of your political things as well. It does. And and so the way I actually became connected with the network is I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Uh And we have a, a deep history of advocacy and social justice and so I actually chair our social action committee which is focused on our activism around Mm -hmm. political issues and so um, the Columbia SC alumni chapter is actually a member of the network and has been for a number of years now and that's how I got connected to the network and to the school. That's wonderful and we always appreciate our sorority members and things fraternity members. Now, I was going to say, tell me a little bit about Emerge. Yes. So Emerge is a political organization with our sole focus being increasing the number of women who are serving in public office and elected elected positions. So as an organization, we are over 15 years old. We were founded in California. And um, we've been in South Carolina for about a year and a half now. So I'm actually the first staff member here in South Carolina. And so I tell people the kind of the funny story of how um, we came to South Carolina. Prior to the 2016 election, uh-huh. um, we had about 16 or 17 states. And we had a 2020 plan. We were going to be in 20 states by the year 2020. Uh-huh. Well, we're in over 25 states now. Uh-huh. The, the 2016 <laughs> election sort of changed the dynamics of it, social justice. It did. Bit. I tell people, you know, we have these strategic plans that are on the shelf, and then something happens where you just, you know, take that whole strategic plan and throw it in the trash. And I think the 2016 election changed a lot for a lot of us as individuals, but oh, also, amen. and definitely as organizations. And, and luckily, Emerge has such a strong national network that we were able to pivot and really be able to stop and think, okay, you know, here's what our plan was for expansion, but we need to expand to really meet the need of, the needs of women in these other states. Mm-hmm. And so we're in, in 25 plus states. I say plus because we are, are working on opening additional affiliates in additional states. Mm-hmm. Um, and it we've shown great progress with that. So our whole model is to train women and support women who are running for our office. So we have a signature program, which is a six-month training program that we recruit women for and we take them through to help them be better candidates. Uh-huh. Um, we have women who are, are who will be great elected officials. They just need a little bit of help understanding how to run a campaign. Oh, I, I, I see that value in that. Mm-hmm. I know that you do training programs and that I have some friends who, who were mm-hmm. graduates of your training program. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So the training program, the the signature one, we do some boot camps, some some three-day boot camps on the weekends. We do some regional boot camps 
um, that will bring several people across the mm -hmm. nation into. So, for example, um, although we don't have an Emerge in Guam, we actually have Emerge graduates in Guam because we've done mm -hmm. boot camps there. So the first woman governor, Democratic woman governor in Guam is actually an Emerge alum. Yay. So, yay. So uh -huh. we are in about 25 states, but we had graduates on the ballot last year from about 37 states uh -huh. because of the fact that we have a presence regionally doing these boot camps. But our signature program is really a six-month program. Uh -huh. And through that program, we dive deep into different topics related to running an election and being a candidate. So that may cover things from like how to run fill, you know, how to canvas, phone bank, ID voter, mm -hmm. voter con contact, to fundraising, um, campaign overview. We do, and diversity is very important to us, so we do dedicate time to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and how that impacts our candidates, our voters, and how they can be better candidates with that. Um, we talk about public speaking and communications and messaging and their social media. So everything that you could think about that mm -hmm. a do candidate you, would do need you to Do you touch know. on state-specific issues? Like, you know, South mm -hmm. Carolina is a fairly unique state. With lots of interesting, I use that word loosely, issues. Do you touch on things like that as well? Like if they're going to be running in, say, South Carolina, how is that different than running in California? Yes. So South Carolina, you know, South Carolina's home. Oh, I love South Carolina. I do. Um, uh -huh. But yes, there are some things that I think are uniquely us. Uh -huh. And so the benefit of having our staff in states is the fact that we have staff on the ground and we're really able to customize our program to meet the needs mm -hmm. of what's happening in South Carolina. You know, there are things that, you know, I've done some of our, going to some of our trainings in, in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and some of the, the titles of different offices, the way they have to go about getting on the ballot is completely different from South Carolina. So it wouldn't do to have that same curriculum. Uh -huh. And so that's what makes us a unique training program is that we can customize that's it good. to what's impacting or how it is running as a candidate in South Carolina. Now, what are some challenges that you think your candidates face in California or South Carolina or wherever you want to talk mm -hmm. about? What, what are some of the challenges mm -hmm. that they've faced? So I think our women face the same thing as male candidates. You know, we have to raise money. Um, we have to contact and reach a lot of voters and make sure that our message is getting across to voters. You know, some of the exact same things our mm -hmm. male counterparts are in, are facing. The difference is that um, is we are not always embraced as much as women candidates. There's, um, a, there's a male default, there, for lack of a better word. There is. There is. And, you know, I've heard and, and seen and experienced things as we're out here, you know, campaigning as a merge myself that um, everybody's not excited to see a woman's organization and that's fine. We completely understand that. Mm -hmm. And so I think by having a group like Emerge because we don't just train and then let our women go because our goal is to also provide that network and that support and that sisterhood from them that we're able to provide that support for our women as they may be interacting with people who are mm -hmm. not enthusiastic about seeing women on the ballot. And that's, yeah. and that's okay. They don't have to be happy about it, but we will be there. Uh, we're going to continue to run. We're going to continue to recruit women and we're going to continue to win races um, because we think that, you know, again, love South Carolina, but there's some things that we can improve on. And the way to improve that is by diversifying who we're sending and our decision makers who are making those decisions for us. And, and the, I, I agree completely about that. Having a woman's voice at the table mm -hmm is definitely something that we need in this this state and we do have very powerful women um representatives yes. and things in our state house 
but maybe it's time for some younger voices yeah. too, you know? Well, and not just diversity of background. So not just diversity uh-huh. in age, not just diversity in gender, diversity in race, diversity in, in religions and class. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to just be an attorney to run for office. Yeah. And so, yes, we have some powerhouse women in our state house. Um, we have some powerhouse women on the, the county levels, the municipal levels, mm-hmm. and we are lucky. If we can send more women to give them, you know, more women to help support those initiatives, mm-hmm. then maybe we can actually make progress on some of those those issues. And we have, I, I will say, the women that we have in, our, in office now, particularly in the General Assembly, have done a great job of Absolutely. progressing bills that will have a positive impact in South Carolina. But if we put more women there, think about what else we could achieve. The reality is we know women introduce more bills that they get passed. Uh-huh. Um, because we know not to introduce uh-huh. these pie-in-the-sky things. Right, and, and uh-huh. we know how to get things done. So yeah. I think that's important, too. And I'm not saying men don't, Oh, you know. we, we're definitely not criticizing yeah. our, our male we're, friends we're or not, anything like that. We're not. We have some great male elected officials also. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, there are some ways that women govern different. I think having those women voices there makes a difference mm-hmm. in the conversations and how things happen. Re- representation matters. It does. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, so... T- tell us about some of your candidates from this past election cycle. Yeah. Do you have any success stories? We do. So we have our first success story, um, Allison Terricio. Mm-hmm. Um, she graduated from our six-month training program last year and actually was running as she was in our mm-hmm. in our class. And she won her race for Richland County Council. And so she got sworn in in January. And she's now serving. Yay! So we're so proud of her and we're so happy um, mm-hmm. to see another woman on on county council and to see Allison in that in that role. And um, we had some women run in some very traditionally conservative districts also where they may not have won races, but we saw gains, Democratic votes, mm-hmm. you know, gain there. And I think any gains that we're able to make really does make a difference. Um, and having more people just running impacts, you know, turnout and impacts I think voter attitudes to see so many candidates on the ballot, so many diverse candidates on the ballot. In some mm-hmm. cases, we had women running in seats that had been ran, you know, unimposed for years. So, you know, while we didn't win that race, I still think of there, some of those as wins. Well, 100%. Um, we, we live in a state that's mm-hmm. very gerrymandered. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't deny that has an impact on on who wins elections in this state. So anytime that people can be challenged, that's a good thing because what we we need to get is the people who don't vote. Yeah, we do. Uh And we need to get it where people don't think that their seats are safe, Uh um, that they're going to have competition for those seats Mm -hmm. because that will change then how they how they govern throughout the the rest of their term. So I think just having women on the ballot and making sure that we talked about the year of the woman last year and that even kind of coming into this year in 2020 with a record number of women running for president. But I think our work is to get it to where it's the norm and not the exception to see so many women on the ballot. So we have four women who have declared so far for this year. It's don't forget it is an election year this year. We yes. have we sometimes we get caught up in in the big you know who's running for governor, who's running for president. But we have municipal races this year. Yeah. Um. So we have a woman, Shaterika Neal, who's running for town council in Gray Court, uh-huh. um, which is in Lawrence County. Yep. Um. We have a special election coming up later this month. Um, with Tina Belge, who's running for House Senate District 6, and that's uh-huh. out of Greenville. 
Um, we have Dorothy Dow, who's running for Greenville City Council, mm-hmm. and that will be in November election. And then Ashley Pill, who's running for mayor of North Charleston, and that'll be a November election. Oh, that's also. exciting! Uh, North Charleston, have they ever had a a lady mayor? Not that I know of. I think the current mayor has been there for um, a number a number of years. Uh-huh. So um, the exciting thing too is that. Even in the year of 2019, with some of these women running, and if they win, they will be some. They will be first uh-huh. in in their seats, either women, minorities, or, or even uh-huh. even adding diversity within age for some of those groups. Yeah. Also, that's that's exciting. That is so exciting. Now we've talked a little bit about 2018 being the year of the woman. What what is Emerge talking about in regards to the election in November. Were they? Oh my goodness! Over so the moon. Yeah, November just twenty eighteen was. Tw- let's go back to twenty seventeen actually, because okay. that's when I think the momentum really started for us. And so again, another what people consider off year, but it was a major election year for some of our states. And so a perfect example was Virginia. I want to say we Democrats were able to flip the house. They were actually almost flip the house. We had one seat that was kind of a toss up. Yeah. But out of like. 12 or so seats that were flipped like nine of them were emerged women and so here we had all of these women winning seats and so what did we see in virginia you know we saw things like the expansion of, of medicaid and things of that nature mm-hmm. um nevada i believe now has flipped where they are a majority woman um and women in their house so there are there are gains to be made and those gains started happening for us in 2017 mm-hmm. and then so we had probably 200 and something women on the ballot in 2017 which is not in a major election year. year uh-huh. Right. So fast forward to 2018, it's like, okay, so yeah. how many women are we going to have run this year? And we had over 800 women who were on the ballot last year, and we won over 400 races. And that's races everywhere from school board all uh-huh. the way up to Congress. So we did send five women to Congress. And the exciting thing for us is we're not just putting women in office, but we're actually putting diverse women. So the age of those women. We had women who were first. Um, uh-huh. Deb Holland's a perfect example. Uh-huh. First Native American woman who was elected to Congress. So, you know, the the demographic diversity there, uh-huh. our goal is we're making our elected officials look more like the people that they're supposed to represent. Uh-huh. And so for us, that diversity is very important. And we saw that last year with the wins that we had and the women that we had running. And it wasn't just women who had just came to come to our training program. I mean, we've been around since the early 2000s. So these were women who may have trained years before, and this was the opportunity for them to run. You know, I tell our women that in some cases we are working to build a bench. It's not just about what are you going to run for in 2020, but are we training women so that when opportunities become available, you know, in the off, what we consider the off year elections, Uh you know, 2022, 2024, that we have women who are trained and ready to run for those positions. A hundred percent. Now, I want to see a woman run for Senate one of these days because we've never had that in South Carolina as far as I know. We I would have to look. We've had uh, some women run for some house seats. seats. Yeah. Um uh, we've had one woman, Liz, Liz Patterson, who won a house seat herself, duly elected. All of the other women who have served in our in our uh-huh. house have been women who have served out the remainder of their husband's terms when their yeah. husbands passed away. Um so there's a lot <laughs> a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, to get us to Congress, you know, we will have women on the ballot who are running for Congress 
next year. Um, I can tell you that. That's exciting. Um, throughout the state, um, who may be running for for you know a congressional seat there. I can't say well well whether we'll have one run for Senate or not. You know, um, uh-huh. Lindsey Graham's seat comes available or comes uh, up yes. for reelection next next year, and then Tim Scott's following following him. So, yeah. and those are two people that we definitely need to replace so I, I agree completely and it'd be nice if we replace them with some a more diverse candidate yeah uh from a gender perspective yeah. <laughs> and i think i just think as democrats we're making strides i mean joe mm-hmm. cunningham's race you know and that was a historic win oh the well, fact that yeah. yeah we haven't had a democrat serve in that seat since the 80s and uh-huh. so i think you know while we didn't have the sweeping wins in South Carolina that I think some of us hoped for on a state level, we had some wins. And mm-hmm. we need to focus on those wins that we had and how do we replicate those and duplicate and, throughout and, the state. And let's be honest, Joe Cunningham's win totally shocked me. <laughs> um, I did not expect it. And it was, I when I woke up that next morning and I saw that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This, that, that district is mapped to be republican Mm -hmm. like it's very specifically mapped to be republican Mm -hmm. um and the fact that a democrat won was amazing but again i think i think he ran on environmental issues which is a issue that's not just um necessarily a democratic issue down there especially right and i I think the thing is of us putting candidates on the ballot is what's what's Mm -hmm. important and realizing that because i hear some people kind of get resolved to well we can only win the seats that we already have and let's just make sure we put qualified democrats up in those seats to keep those seats and yes we need to keep those seats but i also think we have to also have qualified candidates that challenge all these other republican health seats Mm -hmm. and that yes we can win and with qualified um qualified i think women on the ballot we can really make a difference and win there too and we can't forget about our local races I, you know i tell yeah. people i know that the statewide races are exciting congress local is, is exciting. where the change happens exactly county council school board um city council there are so many county level seats that are held mm-hmm. that in some cases we don't have people who who run and they run uncontested for years yep. And then boards and commissions. There is so much power in our boards and commissions around here that there are vacant seats on a lot of boards and commissions. And so that's another opportunity for women to um, try to serve on a board of commission. We need diversity, whether it's our boards for our colleges or even city planning and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Those are all opportunities for us to have a voice in shaping what our community looks like. And, and I think that's key because city planning is something that's going to be um, something that's going to be, I, I guess I'm going to say this, it's going to be an issue mm-hmm. going forward because they're tearing down, they tore down Gonzalez Gardens, mm-hmm. they're probably going to tear down Allen Benedict Court. Right. Um, how does, how do we, what does that look like when those things are gone? What do we replace right. it with? And see, some of those voices don't necessarily happen in Columbia at the State House. They happen in county council meetings. They happen mm-hmm. in city council meetings. They happen in the boards and commissions that are appointed and help make some of those decisions. So I think, you know, th- those those big races like who's going to run for governor, who's going to run for Congress, it's exciting. But for us to really, I think, start to have a real impact and get things done, we have to make our boards and commissions more diverse. Agree. And then work up to now let's just take over all of all yeah of South well, everybody's got to get experience somewhere 
Yes. And so those are good places to get the experience so you can run for those bigger races. They are. Now, if a young woman wanted to, mm-hmm. or an older woman, yeah. you know, wanted to, to get involved, how could they, they do that? What, who would, what would the process look like? So to actually take part in our training program, there is a application process. Mm-hmm. Um, so our applications open late summer, early fall, and it's a detailed application process to make sure that the women that we are putting in the program will be um, good stewards of and good representation of Emerge. You know, we are not, what I will say is we're not an issue-based organization. So we don't exclude or, in, you know, or, or look at your beliefs on certain issues and topics. What we're looking for are women leaders who are Democrats, who don't necessarily, they don't have to have experience in politics, but they do have some proven history involvement in their community. and Activism and yeah. organizers and things like that. It could be, you know, you run your church food pantry or, you know, you are the PTO president. I and mean, those are all things that we don't always think about as leadership, but ways that we are serving mm-hmm. and leading our community and women who have some passion and want to see some change in their community. Yeah, that, that, that sounds good. So... I know that that you've been doing this about a year and a half mm-hmm. now. What's your proudest moment? I would just say, I think my proudest moment is when, several moments, but seeing our women's names on the ballot. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the wins. I'm excited about all these other things. But seeing the courage that our women have have. have to put their names out there, to put themselves out there, their families out there to run for office. Mm-hmm. I don't think sometimes we really appreciate our candidates um, because every, it, we really don't have an unlimited amount of people who want to run for office. It's not like no. everybody, it's not, it's not like everybody wants to run for office. Um, it's not necessarily the easiest process. It's not, it takes a lot of time and resources. And, and there's there's cost up front. There's cost up front. You know, the campaign has to raise money. I mean, some campaigns end up loaning themselves money and then having to figure out, okay, we need to then raise that money. So, mm-hmm. you know, people are, are, again, not in debt from their, from the running for office. So, and it's not necessarily a cheap process. It's, it can be very emotionally taxing to run for office. So I think sometimes we need to stop and, and be appreciative that there are people who want to serve our community. And so for me, seeing women who are stepping up and deciding that they're not happy with the status quo and they want to see something different happen in their community and they're not going to just sit back and wait for somebody else to decide mm-hmm. to be that change, that they're deciding to be that change themselves. So for me, that's where the excitement yeah. Is, and that's where I'm proud of them. So so my reason for getting involved, and I bet mm-hmm. this is universal, is after I was I was always a bit of a social justice, mm-hmm. um, social media warrior. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. was constantly posting political things online, mm-hmm. but I wasn't active in, in community organizing. And then 2016 mm-hmm. happened, and I woke up in a very different world after Election Day, and I knew that I had not done enough, and I wanted mm-hmm. to get involved. Do you find that to be a common story? I do. I do. But we, yes, and So I find mm-hmm. some women who have always been on the peripheral of activism mm-hmm. and 2016 just really threw them in there. And then some who have been working for years deep in politics, but never necessarily saw themselves as the candidate uh-huh. who are now very much interested because in. Because representation matters. It does. For mm-hmm. me, I have been involved in, in the process and in activism for mm-hmm. years now, um, but, but two kind of aha moments happened for me. One, 
going actually I, I went to DC a couple of years ago and we were doing the same visits we do with the same elected officials that we do mm-hmm. and it hit me we're talking about the same issues every year and uh-huh. nothing's happening yeah and so you know I can only talk to Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott so many times before I realize they're not listening to what I have to say yep. they're not listening to the issues that are important to us they're not answering our phone calls they're not answering our emails uh-huh. Do I continue doing the same thing to the, with the same people and expecting something different? Or do we need to change who we're talking to? Uh-huh. So that was one aha moment for me. And then after the 2016 election, again, I was already doing work, but I felt like, am I doing enough work? Yep. And so I stopped for a moment and I thought about conversations I've had with some of my elders of where they where they were and what they were doing in the civil rights movement. And I thought about the conversations I will then have with my nieces and nephews in 20 years. And I did not want them to ask me what I was doing during the Trump era. And I would be like, nothing. Same. Nothing. Same. 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 I tweeted. I tweeted a lot. I was angry. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not, that wasn't, that wasn't a good enough answer for me. Uh-huh. So I felt like I needed to have a complete career change because I really needed to uh-huh actively work to make a difference yeah. just being on the outside and doing a little something here or a little something there wasn't enough for me yeah both of us went to the Majesca mm-hmm. school the same year I touched on that earlier yes. for me the idea was getting involved more yes. with the progressive network starting this podcast working with the new legacy project mm-hmm. and uh, we started a monuments tour those are the things I'm doing Melissa took a different approach <laughs> and completely got a new job um, and made activism her career, and I am impressed by that. Well, thank you. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, you know, uh-huh. feeling like, what what do I do? And I think for a lot of people, I've seen that in the age of Trump, a lot of us are frustrated. A lot of us are frustrated about what's going on in our community. And for me, focusing on Emerge isn't so much about my answer to Trump, because you know, the presidential elections, what's going to happen with the president will handle itself. And yes, there's a lot of decisions that he makes that could be good for the country, could be bad for the country. But where things rule, he makes all the bad decisions, but he could make you no know, good decisions if he does. No, he couldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. <laughs> I'm trying to be optimistic. No, yeah. he, couldn't. he wouldn't. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, we could focus all of our attention on Trump and, and we could and, and still not see much progress happen. Which is why local. Which is why local is important. I mean, uh-huh. I mean, think, look at what happened this week with our hearings. Had we not elected the number of Democrats to the House that we did, uh-huh. that would not be happening. Yep. Look, come down to our state level. Look at some of the progress that have been made on bills this week. You know, the conversations that are happening there. Those conversations wouldn't happen or don't happen when we don't have more Democrats and we don't have more women who are serving there. So mm-hmm. for me, it's yes, I'm frustrated with, with what's happening in, in Washington, but I want to focus also on what's happening here locally because the more that we can put good policies and laws in place here, it can insulate us from some of the things that are happening. Harm there. reduction. Right. Um, yeah, and but you know, there's also South Carolina has an in other podcasts we've said this. South Carolina has an outsized voice for our the size of our state in DC. So when we change things here, mm-hmm. we change things there. Um, Mick Mulvaney, Chief of Staff, yes. Lindsey Graham. Uh, we had Trey Gowdy being a loudmouth on, yes. on on the House Judiciary Committee, mm-hmm. and all of those people. That have been, oh, what's his name? Joe Wilson, you lie, Wilson. We, we have an unfortunate 
tendency in this mm-hmm. this place to send people to Washington D.C. who are um, not necessarily what you want to represent your state. And that's and, and it is unfortunate. And I think you know we have to also remember that some of it is just the numbers of how many people show up to vote, mm-hmm. and you write how the lines are drawn. And and so I always tell people at the end of the day. No matter how frustrated we get, we have to vote. Yeah. Um. Because just like you were surprised by what happened in was it the second congressional district? Yes. First, second, first, 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 first. Joe Wilson's second. Yeah. From the first congressional district, I mean, we could have those changes in other districts if we show up to vote. So I think no matter how frustrated we feel, like oh my God, my vote doesn't matter. No matter what happens, Lizzie Graham's going to always be in office. That's not true. With the right candidates on the ballot. And with us as individual voters mobilizing and showing up to vote, we can replicate what happened in the first congressional district and other districts. We can replicate that, you know, with our senators. We can replicate that with a new governor and things like that. So we, I think we, from my perspective, my goal is to make sure that we have qualified candidates on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And then the other hats that I wear as still a community activist, because as much as I was helping to train candidates, I was also out knocking on doors, you know, the same same. here, that we have to also make sure that we're continuing to mobilize voters and get voters out to the polls and helping them understand why why they vote their vote counts and why it's important for them to continue to vote and vote every every election every opportunity you have to vote you need to vote yep and 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 voting is a privilege and a right Mm -hmm. that we can't take for granted because it's taken away from many of our citizens for years like down in florida like Mm -hmm. felons formerly incarcerated people just got the vote vote right to vote back after they, they yep. if you committed a felony in in Florida, mm-hmm. you could never vote again. And this is what I tell And that's you. a shame. And when people are like, oh my it doesn't matter who vote because of who's in office. If they didn't care about your vote, they would not go through so much effort to stop you from voting. If your vote did not matter, if it was just no matter you know, if I vote or not, they're gonna put who they want to put in mm-hmm. office, then they wouldn't go through all the trouble that they go through to prohibit you from voting. You know, for me, my grandmother was my my example. When mm-hmm. I was little, I went to the voting machines, you know, to the election, um, the precinct, precinct with her. Uh-huh. I can't get it out to the uh-huh. precinct with her. And when she was voting on her big machine, they had the little kid machine, and I was <laughs> voting on. So for me, I, and for her, you know, because she was born in a time where her right to vote was not protected, that was something that was important to her, important for her, to her for me to see that and to see how important important it was to be involved in that process because you're right you know for some of our elders they lived through a time where they did not have that uh-huh. that right that's and 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 it's people forget how recent that was yes like i again i i tell people over and over again i had teachers who taught in segregated schools mm-hmm. when i was in the 1980s mm-hmm. in south carolina mm-hmm. like they 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 started their careers in segregated schools and that is it's practically yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, that, that Jim Crow wasn't no. a long time ago. Jim Crow was in my parents' lifetimes. No. And there are elected officials who would, who do introduce bills that try to pull us back. Yes. Instead of helping us make progress as a state, they try to take our rights away. They try to minimize our, our rights. There are bills, if you just sit down and look at some of the bills that are introduced, some of them are very, very scary. So it's important for us to be involved as voters and to let those people know that when they're introducing those bills, your jobs are not guaranteed. You're not safe. 
Mm-hmm. You know, your jobs are not guaranteed that we have qualified Democratic women who will run against you and who will win. So you can't go to Columbia and decide that you're going to introduce bills just because you want to get attention, but bills that if passed will actually harm the very citizens that you're supposed to be protecting yeah. and serving. And some examples of that include the the, the personhood bills. That I, I see her face. You You should see her face. The personhood bills they introduced this time around, it's... So, take, let me take my emerge, because, you know, we don't, emerge, we don't focus on issues. So, I'll take my emerge hat and just put my Melissa, my Melissa hat on as, as my own activist. That, you know, and I, I understand and I appreciate that for some people, they don't have time to do this full time. You know, luckily, I get to be involved in politics profe- professionally, and then all of my volunteer work is also related to politics. So, mm-hmm. I have time to look through bills and... And pull my hair a little bit and sometimes uh-huh. watch what happens in discussion and debate there. Um, but if you ever have an opportunity, just stop and, and go to the State House page and just look at some of the bills that they, they pull. Look at some of the topics. And there are some bills there that considering that South, where, where we rank when it comes to things like health care and education, mm-hmm. you would think that they're introducing bills to help move us forward. No, they're introducing bills that really could set us back even farther than we are. Uh, I agree. And I have looked at some of those bills before yes. and it makes me ill. It is it's scary. And what I will say is the let uh. me be positive about it, though, is we do have some shining, you know, some I would not some shining examples of rock stars in the state house. You know, we saw it last year with some of the debates and arguments uh-huh. that happened on those floors. We see it this year that we do have. And I would say, you know, both male and, 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 and women. Well, one of, one of the bills that I saw has moved forward is the ban the box bill. Mm-hmm. Which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, he Lester Young, who works mm-hmm. with Band the Box here in Columbia, was a guest on our podcast mm-hmm. last time around, and so I, I really hope that one gets some progress. Mm-hmm. That's a good bill that could be mm-hmm. a a powerful tool for giving power back yeah. to formal and in reducing recidivism yes. in formerly incarcerated individuals. And I will say for Delta, so putting my, my Delta Sigma Theta hat uh-huh. on, um, you know, we're looking at things like voting rights, um, health care, gun control, uh-huh. um, education, or, and, and policing, kind of criminal justice and what's yep. going on there. So we have bills that we are individually tracking ourselves to see, you know, where progress is being made, both on bills that, we think are, are that some of our members may think are great bills and then some bills that we're like oh we need to watch this bill because it may not be a great bill um and so i think it's important as much as you can as a citizen to get involved and really understand what they're doing in, in columbia because it's easy to think that they're voting in your best interest or they're introducing bills that are in your best mm-hmm. interest and sometimes they're not and they're they're very scary bills and so I would just like to say, you know, I want to give a shout out to our Democratic um, senators and representatives over there because they have a hard hard job. Not only are they trying to introduce bills to help move us forward, they're also trying to make sure some of those bad bills don't move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And my favorite representative is Gilda Kopp-Hunter. Yes. Uh, She's such a fun lady. I'm trying to get her for the podcast, too, so look forward to that, listeners. Um, but, yeah, the the I, I agree 100%. Stopping harm reduction, that's, mm-hmm. that's our role. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting close to the end of time. What's one thing that you would like to give advice to any young women out there who want to be more involved in politics? What would you tell them? 
don't wait for somebody else to do it. That's the biggest things I hear people say, well, I'll help you find someone or I can work with somebody else's campaign, but I don't want it to be me. Well, the reality is if it's not you, then who? Yeah. And that's really, we've seen that for years of, you know, we wait around sometimes for somebody else to do it. And so I think, you know, for us, we need to realize that we are the answer. Mm -hmm. We can be the answer. Don't be scared. Um, you know, have the confidence that our, our male counterparts have where they can be reality TV show stars and then run for president without uh, any yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying be exactly like that, but as women, we need to have that level of confidence that, you know, we assume we don't have the skills in the background when we're out here running whole organizations and we have all the skills in the background to be able to serve. And, and, and realizing that you have those skills is important. Mm-hmm. I advise you. To list the positive things you've done in your life. And then you'll be able to see, oh yeah, I am good at my job. That's helpful for me in my professional life is that I list out my accomplishments every year. And it reminds me that, that, okay, I am not in over my head. I do know something. I was hired for a reason. Um, And that kind of thing. But I find that to be very helpful in giving you confidence if you look back at what you've done because everybody's done so much more than they think they have in my opinion and we have some we have some wonderful women leaders here in the state um who are just shining stars in their industry and their field who would with those skills could translate to good elected officials Uh and so we just have to see how those skills transfer ourselves and again stop waiting for someone else to be the answer when we probably are the ones that can solve we not probably are we are the ones who will solve the problems in our communities uh, i agree completely thank you so much for being here thank Melissa. you so much for having me this has been fun we'll have to get back together soon and, yes. and do some more talking uh maybe from a sorority angle oh yes yes so that i can i can dive into all those great fun issues that are happening yep 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 thank you for being our guest and thank you. Um, happy Women's History Month. Thank you. You too.